and the story of God being our true and better father and the way that he has parented us, the way he has pursued us, the way he has initiated a relationship with us. And so however today you would hear some parenting advice and instruction and matters, just remember just really that foundation and that most chief thing is that you know, God has designed this family and marriage as a representation of the heavenly family and the new family that he saved us into. And that really, as we open up our Bibles, every story in the Bible is a marriage story. Every story in the Bible is a family story because it all points to the gospel. Uh, every passage in the scripture, it's all telling one story The story of God redeeming man through the death of his son and reconciling us back to himself to enjoy him forever and to glorify him forever. So for two weeks, we've looked at the negative part of this verse, and that is the don't or the do not. Do not provoke your children to wrath. Uh, So get online, listen to that. Just looking at ways that we tend to exasperate our children We tend to chronically annoy our children. Even last night at the dinner table, we made it home from Thanksgiving, uh, a a journey to Corvallis and back. And, you know, do you ever just feel like just everything that's said, you're just like, no, don't do that. Stop doing this. No, don't, don't do that. Don't go over there. Just can you not? Oh, don't. And, and finally at dinner, we're just eating. I think it was our thirds leftovers. It was like that point of the weekend, you know, which might explain a little, you know, okay. Um, and uh, we just asked, you know, I think it was Lindsay that asked the kids, do we chronically annoy you? <laughs> um, are we exasperating you? And the encouraging answer was like, no, you're doing great. And it's like, thank you, God, because that's all you. Um, I'm annoying myself in the way that I parent my children. So, uh, so that's the negative. Don't provoke your children to wrath and just encourage you to listen to those studies if you haven't yet. And today we move on into the positive the, the do, the bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. So there's a discouragement to be avoided, and now there's a direction to be affirmed. Alistair Begg said, The father has a responsibility to cherish his children fondly, to rear them up tenderly, and to sustain them spiritually. Calvin translates this verse, let them be fondly cherished. What does that look like? You know, it's kind of easy to think of with a baby, right? You're just kind of like, oh, you know, and then at like 10 or 11, it's like, you know, Um, no, what does that look like for an 11 year old, for a 12 year old, for a 16 year old to fondly cherish your children and to rear them tenderly, to deal gently with them. William Hendrickson translates it, rear them tenderly. And Stott would go on to say, here's an understanding centuries before modern psychology emphasized the vital importance of the earliest years of life that children are fragile creatures needing tenderness and sincerity of love. It was said of Abraham in Genesis 18, 19, for I've known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him, that they keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice, that the Lord may bring Abraham to Abraham what he has spoken to him. So Abraham's calling as the father, Father Abraham, who had many sons and many, okay, you know that part, uh, He had this mission to keep the way of the Lord and to teach his children and his children's children. And it becomes this ridiculous Russian doll situation and children's 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 children to keep the way of the Lord and to be the prodigy of God. I quoted this last time, but it really is seared into my heart and it kind of sets us up for this morning. So if you'll bear with me, it was uh, from Beg again. And it says, the things that we make optional for our children, they're bright enough to understand that they're clearly not foundational in what we desire for them. Therefore, it follows that if we continually enforce the development of their mental capacities, vital as it is, 
If we continually enforce their progress in the physical dimension of life, as important as that is, while we have an attitude toward their spiritual progress, which is at least ambivalent, if not haphazard, then we ought not to be so naive as to think that when the watercolored ponies and their painters leave our nest, they will somehow be sustained by spiritual volumes, which we've chosen to make optional for them in the brief time that they were under our care. And so this rings very true for me as a pastor and as a father. And the idea was that, you know, as parents, we have daily choices in raising our children. To teach our children the things that are foundational, um, priorities, paramount, most important things. And we're teaching them by our daily endeavors with them what are the what are the non-essentials and what are the essentials? What are the things that can just be, uh, you know, back burner, tossed by the wayside? And what are the things that this will sustain you through your life, physically, emotionally, spiritually? This has eternal implications for you, your wife, your children. We're talking eternity. We're talking heaven or hell. And so when we daily make these decisions, what are we teaching our children? What place do spiritual matters have in our home and with our children? What place do they have? On the scale, how important are they? How, how important is time with Jesus? How important is abiding in Christ? How important is church and being a part of church and serving in the church and ministering and finding out your spiritual gifts you know, Sundays, really important in the wintertime, not so important in the summertime, all right? You know, t-ball, baseball, you know, football, whatever, soccer. Oh, really? You know, soccer kind of gets this wave, and it's like way more important than Jesus. Oh, but, you know, Christmas time, it's a little, oh, what? You know, what are we teaching our kids? As a dad, I go through this just like you do. I'm a coach. I coach regularly. I've coached multiple sports. I like outdoor activities. I, you know, I'm right there with you. But it's important because here we have our children, and a lot of us, I'm looking at the little babies, I'm looking at the little guys, I'm looking at the, you know, the sixth graders and the eighth graders. We've got them for this short period. While they're the watercolor painters, as the, the quote said, you know, they're, they're there at the table and they're, while they're painting the watercolors, we're informing them. What is essential in life? And if we're making things, spiritual things, Jesus things, just kind of back burner things, haphazard things, I'm sure you'll find out someday things, then we shouldn't be surprised when they go to Oregon State University and they get the professor that is doing everything in his power to make these students atheists, and I've known these professors, I lived in Corvallis for a long time, and I've had many of my high school students go off and become atheists. I'm telling you, we shouldn't sit back and wonder how that happened. Because we've always told them it never really mattered anyways. And Paul is telling us, parents filled with the Spirit, parents, saved parents, I'm telling you, don't provoke them and don't neglect them spiritually. You have a role, parents, and it's to bring them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. This is Old Testament. This is New Testament. This is the heart of God that doesn't change. And when you look back in Deuteronomy chapter 6, and let's just go there, had it on the screen, don't have it anymore, but this is important. You got to flip back. It's the fifth book of the Bible. So you can go back really towards the beginning in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and then Deuteronomy, just before Joshua. This is what is called the Shema in Hebrew. Uh, it, the word Shema means here. And when you go to Israel, uh, every day the Jews pray the Shema. And in Hebrew, it sounds something with a little Texas twang like this. 
Shema Israel Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echud. Okay, so you got to get the real in there. Okay, and uh, and and every day the Jews pray this. This is a very special prayer. Hear, O Israel. Hear, O Israel. Hear. Would you hear? And it says in verse four of Deuteronomy six, Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. By the way, side note, it's an incredible Trinitarian statement speaking of God being one God and multiple persons. So you really have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in that verse. Uh, the word echud uh, speaks of uh, plural in one, like a cluster of grapes. So it's really an interesting study. That's about five minutes of my teaching. I'll never get back, but here we go, moving on in the verse. Hero Israel. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. So that's the greatest commandment, right? And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And so we just have this great instruction to parents on how to bring their children up in the training and admonition of the Lord. First of all, it's got to be in our hearts. These things that I've taught you need to be in your own heart. So you need to be part of discipleship, first of all, parents. And then you can teach them diligently with your children. Teaching them and talking of them. And there's just all these great little practical ways given to us by Moses. You know, when you're sitting in your home. But just think for a minute. What does sitting in your home look like today? You go home, and when they're sitting in your home, what's happening? The tube is on, right? The screen is on. The screens are on. There's all kinds of stuff. The video games are on. The tablets are in the hands. And there's a lot of sitting in the house, but is there much turning off of those things so that you can have intentional discussion with your kids? When you're sitting, talk about it when you walk by the way. Just going for walks with your kids. Going out and walking in creation and discussing these. We had one of our just most wonderful discussions when we were walking Steen's Pillar Trail and we're telling the story of Abraham and Isaac and Isaac packing the wood up the mountain and we're almost living it out with our kids as we walk up a mountain and we're you know, pretending it's Mount Moriah and this is what it must have been like. And, and um, you know, just talking about the things of the Lord when you walk, on the, uh, walk by the way, when you lie down. Yeah, laying down at night and, and just you're there lying on the bed with your kid, you know, and just kind of moving their hair, you know, and like, hey, you want to hear a story? You want to hear the story about Moses? You know, whatever, you know, and uh, just looking for those opportunities to teach our children. Um, when you rise up first thing in the morning, um, it says that you would bind these things as a sign on your hand. And so the Jews would take these things called phylacteries. And they, uh, when you go to Israel today, the Orthodox Jews, you see that they, have, they take these leather straps that have the law written on the straps and they bind them around their hand. Looks kind of straight gangsta, you know, but uh, they bind these things on their hand and then they wrap them around their forehead. And on the end of the, the strap on the forehead, there's this giant box. Looks like a sweet top hat just sitting on your forehead. And in there is the law of Moses written down. So they're like literally like binding these things to their forehead, between their eyes, and on their wrist uh, as they would uh, teach their family and, and put them on the mezuzah, on the doorposts of their house, and on their gates. But just great encouragement from uh, the Lord to Moses on how to be intentional in your discipleship in teaching your children. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote that if parents gave as, but as much time and thought to the rearing of their children as they do to the rearing of animals and flowers, the situation would be very different. 
And so when we think of planting our garden and tending, you know, tending our field and raising our animals, there's this invasion into our land's life. And, you know, when you think of the farmers, you know, they, they go into a field and they just get this giant diesel tractor and they got the ripper and the disc and, and just, you know, as they go, they, it's like we are going to, from ground up, we are going to completely prepare this thing for an, intention, an intended purpose. It is going to grow fruit. And so they make it happen just through toil and labor. They make it happen. In the same way, children need an invasion in their life to be provided with the information so that they can make the right choices. There's a discussion between two non-believers. One was Samuel Taylor Coleridge. This is back in the uh, late 1700s. Coleridge was an English poet, literary critic, theologian, and, uh, and, and he's having a conversation with John Thelwall. Uh, who was a, an English literacist. And, and uh, in this conversation, uh, Thelwall says, it's unfair to bias a child's thinking before they can choose for themselves. And then Thelwall said, I showed him my garden. Uh, covered with weeds, I described it as a botanical garden. How so? asked Thelwall. Coleridge replied, that had not yet come to years of discretion. True, the weeds have taken the mean advantage of growing everywhere, but I could not be so unfair as to prejudice the soil in favor of roses and strawberries. Of course, that's ridiculous. The minute you get the land, you've got to prepare the soil in favor of the roses and the strawberries. It's the same with our children. Our children should be able to express doubts and ask questions around the meal table. It should be a safe place for that. They're going to ask those questions other places if they don't ask it at home. But there's a big difference between indoctrination and stimulation and provoking the mind towards thinking about the things of God. And so we have these two words by Paul. The first is training. There's to be training. And in the Greek, it's padia, padia. It refers to rules and regulations and rewards and punishments. So each of these words kind of has a similarity. It all has this rules and instruction. They're very similar. But in this case, with training, there's rules, regulations, and instruction, as well as rewards and punishments. So when you have the you shall teach them diligently to your children from Deuteronomy. You have the word diligent. Diligent. It's characterized by a steady, earnest, energetic effort. Even painstaking in the way that we uh, would teach our children. The synonym is busy. We are just busy in our effort in training up our children. Is that a description of your discipleship of your kids? painstaking. There are times when it's painful to just go ahead and get the family together and sit there and discuss the things of the Lord. You know, there, and there's other methods. Okay, let's, it's time for a walk. You know, we've got way too many, you know, bouncing on the beds right now. We've got way too many fart noises right now. We've got way too many distracted, wanting a cracker, all of that stuff. You've all been there, right? Nobody, nobody else. Okay. You know what I'm talking about. Uh, so, you know, let's pain, let's be busy about how we're doing this. Let's, let's talk of these things while we're sitting in our house. And so at our house, we've got Bibles like everywhere in the home. We've got kid Bibles, okay? We've got the Action Bible. By the way, you should order all these things on Amazon and gift them to your kids for Christmas. It'd be like the best present ever. Uh, but the Action Bible, I think Joe and I were talking about, heck, we learned half of what we know about the Bible from reading the Action Bible. I mean, it's so much better in comic book form. You know, you're like actually getting what's going on in the tabernacle because of the comic strip, you know. But really, it's very helpful in teaching your children, even just the, the things of the Lord. Or, and then the, the important thing about teaching our kids 
the things of the Lord, is that you can get a Bible like the Jesus Storybook Bible, okay? Recommended because the, the subtitle of this Bible is Every Story Whispers His Name. Every Story Whispers His Name. And this will start training even you adults how to see from the story of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses and you know, all the way up through the prophets, how everything's pointing to Jesus. It helps train your mind and your understanding that these are the things that speak of me. Start seeing the gospel even in the Old Testament. Read these things while you're with your kids. Really cute. Read with me story Bible. I'm just finding awesome YouTube Bibles for kids uh, that you can watch with your kids. I posted one on my Facebook page last week. And so as we're observing the Lord's Day and we want to really just be intentional on Sundays about what our kids are watching and just helping them grow, awesome, awesome stuff, even on YouTube. And then even uh, here on Tuesdays, we have youth group grades five through seven. And the first thing we do when kids get here from school is we watch the Bible Project. So we're going through, so this is your fifth graders through seventh grade. We're watching the Bible Project and we're teaching them what every book of the Bible is about. In just this incredible, Oregon-grown, homegrown Pixar animation. You guys should start watching it. And these kids are learning about Genesis, about Exodus. We just watched Leviticus. They're excited about the things of the Lord. And so I'm encouraging your kids, start reading your Bible. So help them with that. Watch the Bible Project with your kids. Start with children's catechisms and really great training tools of questions that you ask your kids and answers that they can answer in return. So you talk about the things of the Lord when you're sitting at your home, when you walk by the way, on the trails, in the car trips. Car trips are a great chance to disciple. It's kind of a captive audience. Uh, can't get away. Lock the door. You're in here. Um, when you lie down, Bible's by the bed stand. I've got my headlamp on my head usually. Because you're laying there and the kids are snuggled in and you're, you know, you're reading the, uh, the action Bible with your kids. Um, when you rise up, you're giving the Lord your first fruits. And, uh, and then we go on in Deuteronomy. It's actually reversed because I want you to flip back just a, a couple chapters to Deuteronomy 4 and 9. And here's where we're going to be just tackling some major scripture. So get ready to flip your Bibles. Deuteronomy 4 9. Only take heed to yourself and diligently keep yourself, lest you forget the things your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. So again, discipleship starts with yourself, yourself being a part of growth and following Jesus, lest these things, at least youth would forget them. And then teach them to your children. And just in case you were here today and you thought, none of this applies to me. I'm an empty nester. Oh, grandparents, listen up. And teach them to your grandchildren. Especially concerning the day. You stood before the Lord your God in Horeb when the Lord said to me, gather the people to me and I will let them hear my words that they may learn to fear me all the days they live on the earth. And that they may teach their children. It's the heart of the Lord that we are teaching our children. We are bringing up the next generation. When you read of Psalm 22 and the Psalm of the Cross, there's just this beautiful prophecy of, of some 30 prophecies fulfilled in Psalm 22 that, that Jesus would be uh, killed on a Roman cross, his hands and his feet pierced, he'd rise from the dead. And then part of this beautiful prophecy is that another generation will rise up and they will go out telling people the story of Jesus. So we are that next generation and we raise up the next generation. Uh, flip with me to Psalm 78. Psalms right in the middle of the Bible typically. If you kind of hold your Bible and you shoot for the middle. I just got Isaiah, so I'm going to flip to the left a little bit. But Psalm 78, 1 through 8. It's a contemplation of Asaph. Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ear to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we've heard and known, and our fathers have told us. 
We will not hide them from their children. Telling to the generation to come the phrases of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he has done. For he's established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children and the generation to come might know them, the children who would be born that they may arise and declare them to their children, that they may set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. And may not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that did not set their hearts aright and whose spirit was not faithful to God. So this responsibility to not hide the word of the Lord to our children. And when I say this, I already sense the Lord saying, don't forget to instruct the church in this, okay? And, and here's what this is. We're not just trying to impart head knowledge into our kids. Oh, make sure they know the story of Noah and the ark. How many animals went in at a time? Oh, good. That's the important thing you need to know. You know, how many pounds is 12 coras of dove droppings? You better find that out. All right. All right. The Jews had the knowledge down, all right? What they were lacking in was the power. There was no power in the Old Testament to be able to live out the law of God. I think it was Casey who posted a few weeks ago that are we raising up good little Pharisee kids, you know? We want to be so careful that we're not raising up religious kids, we want our kids to know the stories of God, but that all the stories point towards the hero, the real true champion of it all, Jesus, who really lived out obedience to the law and the commandments and the teachings of God. He did what we could never do. You've got to teach this to your kids. You've got to teach them about sin. You've got to teach them about rebellion. You've got to teach them about the law. And you've got to teach them how they could never keep the law. You've got to teach them that someone came who did keep the law. And because he kept the law, now it's as if you kept the law. All right? You've got to teach them about the Holy Spirit who comes in and upon them so that now they can live in victory. Now they can obey. You've got to teach them about abiding. You've got to teach them about uh, spending time at the foot of the cross and, and re remembering the empty tomb. and You've got to teach them these wonderful things. You've got to teach them the why of it all, the mission of God, that all the nations of the world would know this story so that God would be glorified and people would enjoy him. For okay, So we're not just trying to be like, make sure you paint Noah's Ark on the wall of your kid's room so that they grow up knowing there were zebras on the ark, there were zebras on the ark. That's not the point of parenting and discipling our kids the point is yes telling them the stories of god that they're true they're real they're not myth but that they all have purpose behind them okay and i love that 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 last psalm we just read because we want to teach our kids the stories and the truth but then it says and his strength and his wonderful works that he has done all right not your strength, little Jimmy, and the wonderful works that you need to do. And if you don't do them, you're going to hell. You got to focus their, their mind on the real hero that they can look to and trust in. When you read of Nineveh, <clears throat> Nineveh was where Jonah didn't want to go. And then he ran from God and got swallowed by the whale and was spit out. And was, you got a mission, you go to Nineveh. Nineveh's parents were held responsible for their wickedness. Archaeologists were digging in the ruins of Nineveh and they came across a library of plaques containing the laws of the realm. And one of the Ninevite laws read in effect that, that anyone guilty of neglect would be held responsible for his or her neglect. And it goes on to say on a plaque, if you fail to teach your children to obey, if you fail to teach him to respect the property and rights of others, you and not he are responsible for the result of your neglect. And so as we take that and understand, yes, it's important to teach them to obey and the consequences of actions, but we also need to be teaching our children how 
and the what and the why of obedience and keeping it Christ-centered and gospel-centered. Let's flip over to the Proverbs, where it very quickly starts out in 1.8. My son, and I remember my dad, um, a man of God, a man who loved the Lord, reading the Proverbs to me. I can hear his voice today instructing me and reading the Proverbs to me. My son... Hear the instruction of your father and do not forsake the law of your mother, for they will be graceful ornaments on your head and chains about your neck. So there's instruction that fathers and mothers are to give children. They're just delicate, beautiful ornaments upon a child. Look at, uh, and you want to keep your finger in Proverbs because we are coming back. Um, but will you just flip back if you are able, uh, if you're savvy? Uh, to 2 Timothy 3.15, where Paul is writing to his son in the faith, Timothy, 2 Timothy 3.15, it says, You must continue in the things which you've learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you've learned them. So this is something we can speak into our kids, our sons, and our daughters as they're graduating high school, as they're going on, as they're questioning, hey, it's good to reason, it's good to hear from these outside sources, but when you have a question, I'm just encouraging you, son, continue on the things that you've learned from childhood, the things that I've assured you in, and then think of who you've heard it from. Who are you hearing it from? By the grace of God, my life is a life that you can hear from. My life is a life not of hypocrisy, but of diligent relationship with Christ. And it goes on, Paul's speaking to Timothy, from childhood you've known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. So teaching our children the scriptures, it's the word of God that's able to make our children wise for salvation. And you see that it was, uh, he goes on to say it was his mother Eunice and his grandmother Lois uh, who trained him up in that way. Single mom and a single grandma training their child up so that when Paul the Apostle came through, he was ready for the mission field, hopped on the wagon, and they headed out. Um, I know I said keep your finger in Proverbs and we are coming back, but uh, we're going to Hebrews next. Hebrews. And it's here that we come to the second word that Paul uses, admonition. So we've had training, and now admonition, which is gentle or friendly reproof. It's a counsel, it's warning against fault or oversight. And it also has connotations of uh, rebuke, discipline. Okay, And it's here in Hebrews 12 that we read of, this type of admonition. Classic New Testament passage on correction. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you're rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens. And he scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which we've all become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we've had human fathers who corrected us and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. So this wonderful passage 
where Paul is speaking to spiritual sons and daughters in the gospel, talking about how the heavenly father loves his children and trains them and chastens them and brings correction and reproof. And it never seems real pleasant when we're corrected, but it has wonderful fruits of righteousness that come from it. We hate church discipline. We hate that part of discipleship where our brother would come and speak correction into our life or our sister would speak into our life. We feel like as Americans, we've got to be able to have this freedom from any sort of people looking into my life and calling out my stuff. But biblically, you see that your eternity depends on, your continuing to the end depends on the church that God surrounded you with lovingly and gently correcting you in sin. Bringing correction. It's a mark of a good father when that's evident. Chrysostom, an early church father, he wrote, since then not to be chastised is, chastised is a mark of bastardy. We ought not to refuse, but to rejoice in chastisement as a mark of our genuine sonship. So to not be corrected, if our dad never corrected us, you know, biblically, it's like we never had a dad. When we talk spiritually, if our heavenly father never corrected us, it's like we're not legitimate children. And so as we go on in understanding that as fathers and mothers, there is a place for correction and chastisement in our kids' lives. Their eternity depends on it. We need to rejoice in it and even teach them they ought to rejoice in it. Okay, I told you about the Proverbs. We're going to go there now. I know your finger's still in it. Let's start in 19. Proverbs 19, 18. It says, chasten your son while there is hope. Right? There's a moment when that little watercolor painter leaves the house and he doesn't want to hear it. There's no more place for that. No more hope. And that's not entirely true all the time, but you know what, what's being said here. While there's hope, while he still has a tender heart towards instruction, chasten your son while there's hope and do not set your heart on his destruction. And so we see that other end of the coin, right? That in your discipline of him, you, you're just, I'm going to break him. You know, I'm going to break him like a mule. You know, that's not the heart of the Lord. Okay. Um, moving on to Proverbs 13, 24. He who spares his rod hates his son. You know that Proverbs are written as wisdom for young men. That's really the theme of Proverbs is wisdom for young men. So young dads, learn it now. If you spare discipline, if you spare correction, if you spare spankings, as unpopular as it is to say in this culture, you hate your son. But he who loves him disciplines, disciplines him promptly and early. All right? So you love them, you're going to discipline them. You're going to spank your children. All right? Not with a heart set on his destruction that obviously moves into abuse as we are spirit-filled born-again parents. This is done in a way that that is um loving towards our children. Uh if you want to flip back to Proverbs 22:15, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. How this goes against our humanistic worldview of today. Oh, just little kids and just the preciousness of them. Don't get me wrong. They are precious. Love my babies, right? But we, we forget the story of the Bible that they have an inherent sin nature. 
an inherent sin nature that very quickly moves into an imputative sin nature, which means they've gone beyond just being children of Adam, and now they're loving sin. It's like McDonald's. I'm loving it. All right? At their nature, foolishness is bound up in their heart. The good news is the creator of marriage and family says that the rod of correction will drive it far from him. A great book by Ted Tripp. Ted and his brother Paul Tripp, they're both uh, Christian counselors, gospel-centered, biblical counselors. And Ted focuses more on like the parenting aspect in his incredible book, Shepherding a Child's Heart. Listen to what he has to say. We often are taught that man becomes a sinner when he sins. The Bible teaches that man sins because he's a sinner. Your children are never morally neutral, not even from the womb. One of the justifications for spanking children is this folly is bound up in the heart of a children, but the rod of discipline will drive it far from him. Tripp goes on to say, the heart is not neutral. Your child is either worshiping and serving and growing and understanding the implications of who God is, or he's seeking to make sense of life without a relationship with God. If he is living as a fool who says in his heart, there's no God, he doesn't cease to be a worshiper. He simply worshiped what is not God. Part of the parent's task is to shepherd him as a creature who worships, pointing him to the one who alone is worthy of worship. The question is not, will he worship? It is always, whom will he worship? Implications for child rearing, this issue of Godward orientation uh, separates what you read here from most other books on child rearing. Going on in Proverbs, looking at 23, 13, 23, 13 and 14. Do not withhold correction from a child. Are you ready for this? For if you beat him with a rod, he will not die. You shall beat him with a rod and deliver his soul from hell. What are the implications that we're dealing with here? We are dealing with eternal ramifications. We are dealing with hell and heaven. And we're told as many passages as we've been been looking at on nourishing and cherishing that not separated from that is chastisement and correction with a rod. Deliver your son from hell. Proverbs, go back a little bit. I'm sorry for the hopscotch. And it's supposed to be tied to like the theme here. 2030, Proverbs 2030. Blows that hurt cleanse away evil, as do stripes the inner depths of the heart. These are tough passages. I'm right there with you but in it all we've got to trust the lord just as when we talk about submission and headship where there's abuses on both sides submissions become an ugly word in our culture headship an ugly word but when we look at it in context of the gospel the loving and gentle heart of god the father that he is When we speak of these type of discipline, we are not talking about child abuse. We are talking about loving, strategic, gentle correction, pointing our children towards being followers of the most gentle and loving God there is. And yet in that, As Romans says, consider the goodness and severity of God. God is a good God. God is a severe God. And so as we're filled with the Spirit and led by the Spirit in disciplining, He will help us to keep the right good balance in our our chastisement of our children. 
The Do I Rames version of Proverbs 20, 30 says, The blueness of a wound shall wipe away evils and stripes in the inward parts of the belly. Now, there's a tendency to become extremists here. In disciplining, we can have an excessive sternness, laying hold of discipline with such vigor that we're immediate in it. It's the only way we govern our children. We're harsh. We quickly move into the discouragement to be avoided in the first part of our verse. But there needs to be restraint, either by virtue of our personality or by virtue of our human tendency to respond mostly in a direction of severity. In the exercise of punishment, we need to be careful not to punish in at least these three occasions. Okay? First of all, when we're annoyed. Okay? When we're annoyed, it's not the time. When our pride has been injured, not the time. When we've lost our temper. Okay? Any one of those three times moves to the end of the pendulum that's ungodly in our discipline. Okay? Uh, I think it was Beg that wrote, there's a challenge right here, fathers. Some say, I can't think of any other time that I discipline my kids. When you do this, you better get a hold of them before they fall asleep and tell them you're sorry. Otherwise, they will grow up with a father who could never tell them that he was wrong, even when the mother and the brothers and the sisters and the visiting neighbors knew that he was. Beware excessive sternness in the operation of admonition. Stott says, there's a place for discipline. Paul goes on to say, but it would never be arbitrary. The children have a built-in sense of justice, and it should never be unkind. Otherwise, your children will be discouraged. When you're angry in your discipline, John Piper says, anger is the cannibal emotion. It eats all the others till none is left. It does this first in fathers, and then this constricted soul is passed on to the children. Anger is absorbed as the dominant emotion and all the tender feelings die. Paul says, don't let that happen. Fathers, don't provoke your children to anger. The remedy is the gospel, as God in Christ forgave you. Am I upset when my children is disobeyed, my children, my child? Am I upset because God's kingdom and his glory are being attacked? Or because my kingdom and my glory are being attacked? I think we know. God's, of course. Okay. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, again, full of practical wisdom, says, When you are disciplining a child... You should have control yourself first. What right have you to say to your child that he needs discipline when you obviously need it yourself? Self-control, the controlled temper, is an essential prerequisite to the control of others. Ted Tripp goes on to say, and I know we're getting ready to wrap up everybody, focus back. The tryptophan from the turkey is, is still kicking in, I know. But I'm going to wrap this up because I want to move on in our family series next week as well. So let me just help us out with a little shepherding a child's heart. The rod is the careful, timely, measured, and controlled use of physical punishment. Let me say that again. Careful, timely, and measured, controlled use of physical punishment. The rod is never a venting of parental anger. It is not what the parent does when he's frustrated. It is not a response to feeling that his child has made things hard for him. It is always measured and controlled. The parent knows the proper measure of severity for this particular child at this particular time. The child knows how many swats are to come. And sometimes this is something that needs to be talked through with the spouse, prayed through before moved on. It's kind of some good accountability. 
If you allow unholy anger to muddy the correction process, you're wrong. You need to ask for forgiveness. Your right to discipline your children is tied to what God has called you to do, not to your own agenda. Unholy anger, anger over the fact that you're not getting what you want from your child, will muddy the waters of discipline. Anger that your child is not doing what you want frames discipline as a problem between parent and child, not as the problem between the child and God. It is God who is not being obeyed when you are disobeyed. It is God who's not being honored when you're not honored. The issue is not an interpersonal contest. Rather, it's your insistent that your child obey God because obeying God is good and right. Be careful that you're not just angry because we're not just getting what we want. Tripp goes on to say, I recall many conversations that went like this. Father, you didn't obey daddy, did you? No. Do you remember what God says daddy must do if you disobey? Spank me? That's right. I must spank you. If I don't, then I would be disobeying God. You and I would both be wrong. That would not be good for you or me, would it? To which a child reluctantly replies, no. Wrapping up. What is this dialogue communicating to the child? You are not spanking him because you're mean. You're not trying to force him to submit to you only because you hate insolence. You're not mad at him. You, like him, are under God's rule and authority. God has called you to a task you cannot shirk or shrug off. You're acting under God's rule. You're required obedience because God says you must. Worship team, why don't you come on up? As we wrap up with this phrase, what was it? <laughs> of the Lord. Of the Lord. Just having a drum solo today, huh? Oh, yeah. Sweet. It's like a little like spanking song. I suppose if you spunk to the uh, spunk, if you spunk to the rhythm of a worship song, you know it would just always be holy and just like, our God is an awesome God. He reigns. So spirit filled. As unto the Lord, or, or rather of the Lord. It's the training and the admonition of the Lord. This helps us to know that as we move forward in this way, with the Bible as our authority, our training will be of the Lord, from the Lord, through the Lord. It will be rooted in God's word. It will depend on God's wisdom and strength. It will in the end be to serve the glory of God. This is of the Lord. The Lord approves this type of discipline. The Lord dictates and leads to this type of discipline. And so behind us, we have the chief saying, this is how you do it. And when we live in a culture that is passing all kinds of laws and structuring things so that, you know, discipline, correction, man, you, I mean, it, it's just moved beyond unbiblical. And really, it's as a reaction of unbiblical discipline. People went to discipline their children out of wrath and anger and pride and offense. And it was sinful. And then kind of the pendulum swung the other way and that, well, then we just won't discipline at all. It goes the other direction. When it comes to disciplining our children, we've got to let the word of God govern us. As the, uh, as the book of Acts says, you know, do we, do we obey God or do we obey man? Of course we obey God. And so we pray now. Let's go ahead and bow our head and let's cry out to the Lord. We cry out for this correction of the Lord here today. To just seep into our hearts, God. We would realize it's of you. And every home situation is different. Every home situation is different. There are parents here today that are, their homes are battlefields. They are battlegrounds. Years have been lost. 
The enemy has creeped in. There are footholds. Really broken homes here today. The same broken homes we read of all throughout the book of Genesis. Just broken home after broken home and all the way through. A result of the fall. And Lord, we pray for this of the Lord type of discipline, correction, training, admonition to come into Calvary Chapel of Crook County and the homes that are represented here as men and women pursue Jesus, as men and women bow their hearts and their homes before the cross, saying, you are right, Lord. When you call me to lead my home towards following Jesus, towards knowing God, when, when I read what I read today about teaching my children about who you are and your character and your attributes and your power and what you're able to accomplish throughout human history, when I teach my children your plan to be glorified, in saving men through the death of your son. Lord, I believe that that will all inform the rod of correction, the verbal rebukes, the instruction, the conversations, the severity Knowing when it's time to move from a spanking to grounding and privileges revoked and length of time. God, as we at Calvary Chapel just endeavor to live with the gospel in front of us, that we as parents would, we would be gracious to our children giving them what they don't deserve. And we would be merciful to our children, not giving them what they deserve. And we would be just to our children, giving them what they deserve. Just as we look at the cross, where the Son of God hung, that greatest example of grace to the world, mercy to the world, judgment for the world. If you're here today, and this is, this hits home, literally, and you just know that you need, you just need the Lord to just, like a tidal wave, just come and just crash into your life and just, just renew your home and renew your marriage and just breathe life into your parenting and your discipline and your instruction. And you just know that how it's going now, if it keeps going this way, it's, it's going to be disastrous for my home. It's going to be disastrous for my kids. And when they leave the home, man, I've made the things of the Lord optional for them, and it's going to be optional for them later on. It's going to be something that's just haphazard. They won't care about. And I need the Lord to help me. I need the Lord to bring new life into my life. I need the Lord to work in me disciplines of a godly father or mother so that I can train my kids. I barely know where to start here today. If you're here today and you just, you just need help, you need the Lord, you just want to cry out for His presence in your life so that you can Heed the instructions of the Bible today. Why don't you stand where you're at and we'll just pray for you. If you just know, man, I, I need help from the Lord in knowing the right measure of correction for my children.
Or maybe I've erred. I've been way too severe. I've been way too harsh. I've made this about me and my glory and my kingdom when it's really about the Lord and his holiness and his righteousness. And I just need you, Lord. Just as you parents are standing. I just remembering as I was talking of that, of listening to an, a PBS podcast yesterday of a, just a man whose life is so wigged out on drugs and just carnality and thievery. He's a criminal. Just, oh, just his life is marked by darkness. Just he told his story of just an overly, overly, as if there's an overly, but an abusive father, just overly abusive. And, and in his mind, as long as he didn't grow up to be abusive, then he's a good man. As long as he didn't grow up to be like his dad, then all this other stuff and the immorality and the criminal thievery and all that's, I'm, I'm a pretty good guy. I just thought that's such a word for us as dads. Just, man, to teach our children what real sin is. And then to model for our children righteousness, even in our discipline. Lord, you just see into this room. You're here with us, walking in our midst. And would you pray for us, Lord? Would you pray for us parents? Lord, we need you. I just pray over you who are standing. I just pray just a fresh pouring of the Spirit of God upon you. Just pray for just the fire of the Holy Spirit, that the person and work of the Spirit would bring power into your life. That he would burn away chaff. He would burn away just habits of lashing out in anger and in wrath and and um, discouraging your children and exasperating your children. He would, he would just set the field, just as, as a farmer burns the field clean, he would just come through in his presence and just burn your life clean, burn your parenting clean, burn your convictions clean. That first of all, he would just impress on you as a parent the value and the importance and the internal ramifications of spiritual matters for your children that first of all you parents I just pray over you that you would be disciples yourself you would value spiritual things yourself you would value and pursue intimacy with Christ you would be full of the spirit you would abide in the Lord so that with him you could do everything I just pray over you parents standing that the Lord would just remind you and just set your vision so that you're just looking for the walks that you can discuss the things of the Lord with your kids. You're looking for the bedtime discussions. You're looking for the time on the couch where let's just shut off the TV and painstakingly endeavor to follow Jesus here. Lord, would you help the parents here? Would you save our generation, God? Lord, save Generation X, Lord. Save Generation Y. Save the millennials, God, by what you're doing in our church today. Lord, save the progressives. Save the liberals. Save the conservatives, Lord, where we have just erred. Do a work of your spirit here. Let our parenting not be of might nor of worldly fleshly power, but of by your spirit, God. And Lord, when it comes to chastisement, when it comes to rebuke and reproof, when it comes to the rod of correction, I pray that these homes that are standing and crying out for strength and help and power, that by the, the Spirit, they would strategically discuss among wives and husbands How, when, how far, how severe, 
how to show mercy, how to show grace. And Lord, that you would turn these times of sitting on a bed with a weeping child, with the sting of correction, into incredible moments of discipleship and turning the hearts of our little ones towards following you. You're worthy of it, Lord. You're worthy of it. And so today, we just bow our hearts before your word. We hear the worldviews screaming into our ear. We hear the news and the talk shows and the books and the laws that are on the ballots. And, and we hear other countries. And we just hear uh, just humanism and, and just things that are just anti-Bible, counter-Bible. We hear them and we just say, you first, Lord. What do you say first? The promises of God are yes and amen. We receive you this morning. Amen. Let's all stand together. Let's close with this song.